My guest for this episode is Jack Gilbert, a professor of paediatrics and oceanography at the University of California, and one of the authors of Dirt is Good, the advantage of germs for your child's developing immune system. We're going to discuss germs, COVID-19, mucky play, and why the right dirt at the right time could be good for kids. Jack, hello. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. Um, so when we say dirt, what do we actually mean by dirt? Are we talking mud? Are we talking bacteria? Yeah, dirt is um, uh, an odd term, right? It's, it's very colloquial. It can mean many different things. In, in the context of this, it just means uh, the stuff that people would normally try and protect you from, right? The, you know, the, uh, yeah, the bacteria, soil, uh, mud, but also, you know, general uh, filth out there in the world, right? And there's filth that's going to make you sick and there's filth that can make you healthy. And that nuance, you know, bet- division between the two is where we, uh, where we find uh, the, the, the biggest rub, uh, the, the biggest, the most difficult thing to explain to people and the most education that could be required. Yeah, because when people think of that, it's, it's, it's rare that they think this might be good for me other than in a psychological sense, perhaps. You know, rolling around in mud can, can, can be fun, I guess. But um, in terms of good for our body, uh, what does that actually mean? Is, is it something around the myth? Well, I mean, you spoke to one of our journalists, John Morgan, about this, this, this myth that you know, expose, we need to expose ourselves to as much dirt as possible to, to stop um, allergies. Is that, is that true? Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, it all comes down to your immune system, right? How your immune system functions. Um, it, it, w- most people think of your immune system as, as like a, an army, right? It's a, an army to defend your body against pathogens and germs. Uh, you know, and that's the rhetoric that we've been uh, fed over the last hundred years since yeah. we really started to understand what it does. Um, but really, the immune system is more like a caretaker or a, a national park ranger or, you know, or a, a, a gardener. It's there to manage the microbial exposure and the exposure to everything else that the human body gets on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Each of us is emitting around 38 million bacterial cells an hour, right? Okay. <laughs> and we're also receiving lots of <clears throat> microbial and pollen and dirt antigens from the air, from the surfaces around us that are, are being sensed by the immune system in our skin, in our lungs, etc. And the immune system has to deal with all that. And it has to manage that complexity of exposure. <clears throat> and that's where it all becomes complicated. Um, if your immune system doesn't see lots of things, right, it can become um, lazy. To, okay. to macular, right? Yeah. And a lazy immune system is one that can overreact when it finally starts to see um, antigens, you know, things that will activate the immune system. Mm. So what we found is that if your immune system is, sees a lot of things, a lot of bacteria, viruses, uh, dirt, pollen, etc., very early in life, within the first 18 months, mm. it can train it to be active and healthy so that it doesn't overreact when it finally sees something which it uh, is not expecting, right? Mm. So um, it's very much, there's a nuance there, but it's very, very it's quite difficult to explain without going into the biomechanics of yeah. immune cells. But it's, um, the, the paradigm is, yeah, exposure to lots of things very early in life can help to train the immune system to be less overreactive. I mean, are we talking small doses here? I mean, we're not talking chucking one of our children in a, in, a, in a muddy pit and letting them eat what they want while in that muddy pit. And they may have been foxes, badgers, rats who are who knows in there i mean is it is it as everything in moderation everything everything's always in moderation right but um 
you know, if if, yeah, if you ex if you expect there to have been a large uranium dump, I wouldn't go and throw your <laughs> children into the uranium dump, right? You know, or a chemical wasteland. Um, <clears throat> you have to you know use common sense, which is often complicated to adhere to. But the the yeah, the paradigm is uh, you know, bring your kids out to the garden and, and let them garden alongside you, mm. or you know, or, or go out into a park. Um, so you know, go for a picnic um, or a walk in a forest, or um, have furry pets around you know um, exposure to dogs uh, under the age of one not the dogs being under the age of one your kids being yeah. under the age of one, will reduce the chance that the child will develop an, um, uh, an, an allergy like asthma uh, by up to 20 percent right that's a significant reduction in the potential for an, uh, a chronic allergic disease just by physically interacting with the dog there's a nice paradigm there. The, um, uh, we did another study in Philadelphia um, in a poorer, uh, socioeconomically depressed part of Philadelphia. <clears throat> and we saw that uh, there were lots of kids with dogs that were still developing asthma. And we thought, well, this is odd. This doesn't fit the paradigm. Until we found out most of the dogs were guard dogs, uh, very aggressive animals that were kept outside on chains in kennels. Um, and the kids weren't allowed to physically interact with them as they didn't have that bond. Hmm. So, you know, so we've identified that they kids need the babies need to physically interact with the dog to get the benefit of uh, of the exposure the immune exposure that a furry pet can provide how crazy so is the is the immune system largely set by 18 months then i mean it, it, you know should we keep exposing you know when the kids reach school and we you know this sort of the age Tez starts dealing with four and five year olds in early years i mean are we should we be less concerned with getting them in those situations where they can be exposed at that age? I, 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 this, is, this is where it becomes complicated, right? Most of our research is focused on that early life exposure because um, uh, that's the time when your immune system is being primed, right? It's being activated and educated at a very rapid rate. So yeah, by 18 months, it's, it's feasible. And a lot of data seems to suggest that the immune system is starting to become more mature, right? Mm -hmm. But there's still growth. And remember, the immune system is actual physical cells, you know, cells that live inside your body, white blood cells, et cetera, that live inside your body and are actively uh, being uh, dying and being born and, and replicating. And so um, it's a growing ecosystem. It's, a, it's an immune system that's just a living being, if, yeah. as you will, you, yeah. <laughs> alive, but it's, it's a living, um, uh, growing thing. So yeah, we think that constant exposure is beneficial but the evidence to support that is still lacking, right? We, don't, we can't definitively say it. All we can say is that um, we have evidence to suggest that constant exposure throughout life um, may provide um, uh, benefit, but the, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's difficult to prove it. To prove that kind of uh, hypothesis, we'd need trials of millions of people uh, mm -hmm. costing billions of dollars. Um, and, and human beings are just not that good at adhering to regulation. No. So if we said, you, know, you don't expose yourself to anything and you, you guys over there expose yourselves, you know, sit in the garden and expose yourselves to everything, um, uh, that would be a virtually impossible trial to do. So uh, it's going to be very hard to prove it. But um, uh, some of the evidence in animals, uh, mice and rats and, um, and what have you, uh, that suggests that, yes, yeah, some exposure throughout uh, the life of the animal can be beneficial. This is why we suggest people should garden, right? If they, they have a garden or, a, you know, a, a box on their windowsill, um, that they can, they can grow plants and they can physically interact with the soil, that could be beneficial, especially later in life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, so farms at schools 
or getting the kids to learn how to grow their own food uh, could be a hugely beneficial experience, both psychologically, but maybe also biologically. And if we flip that around and say, kids, you know, sitting at a desk for, you know, six hours of the day with reducing break times, for example, let's say they get 30 minutes for lunch and spend it spent stood in the canteen. Um, and with the COVID regulations coming in, it's likely that children will be sat in the same room, even at secondary school for those six hours. If we flip that around and look at the, the potential impact in terms of dirt, you know, as an overview, um, is, is that a dangerous or is that an, a less than ideal situation from, from a microbial point of view, if you want to put it like that? Yeah, I mean, maybe um, this is where it becomes even more complicated, right? So we're dealing with the same thing here um, in, in California, um, much, much worse than you are, I believe. But um, mm. our main problem is that being locked inside um, presents a number of threats to health, right? Um, uh, to, uh, there's obviously benefits. It's often more comfortable than the outside, other than yeah. in Southern California, where it's always beautiful. Um, uh, uh, so it's more temperatures easier, the humidity is better. Um, uh, it's you know you're less likely to be rained on. Um, but the the being trapped inside, being locked inside, presents um, health threats. So for example, um, it concentrates bacteria and viruses um, in the air and on surfaces mm. from the people who are in there. So in, in this position of a pandemic, this is the reason the advice is if you're going to interact with people, um, you know, wear masks, stay socially distanced, but do it outside because yeah. it reduces the probability of the transmission of a bug. If you're inside, the bugs and the viruses get concentrated in the air and on surfaces, increasing your risk of transmission. Um, secondly, the, there's chemicals that um, are off-gassing off of the furniture and, you know, and electronic equipment and off of the materials used to build the, uh, the structure and the school um, that uh, can build up in the air. And if there's not proper ventilation, either through windows or through bringing outdoor air in via the, the air conditioning system, um, then those can build up and they can have toxic effects. Um, and, and thirdly, uh, there, you know, the, uh, there could be, especially in old buildings like we find in, in Britain, um, there could be uh, fungi, molds, living in the building structure um, that are producing what we call volatile organic compounds. These are chemicals which uh, get into the air and can be breathed in and can make us sick and present uh, allergies or, or cold or flu-like symptoms. So, you know, there's lots of complications to keeping people trapped inside, both psychological and biological. So the benefit of being outside, microbiologically speaking, may be mild, right? Mm. But the, the, uh, the problem of being locked inside, um, microbiologically and chemically, may be worse, right? So um, balancing those two, um, balancing that equation and making sure people get enough exposure to the outside while also making sure the inside doesn't become a chemical and biological concentrated mass um, is, is, the, is the really difficult piece of bringing kids back into school during a pandemic. Yeah. And in terms of the impact of, if we, if we move away from COVID briefly, we're going to come back to it. But if, if we look at the, you know, the off-gassing you were talking about, the, 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 the volatile compounds, potentially, they, they may have long-term impacts in terms of illnesses and viruses. They may have some um, health detriments or allergies. Are there any short-term things that can happen in that class that impact the learning at that moment or you know as if you're in that room for the entire day are there things that an imbalance that can happen 
Um, there, there, there's some suggestion of this, and the the evidence for it again is weak. But um, that's just because the studies haven't been done properly, right, or haven't been done at all. Yeah. Um, but there is some suggestion that um, your immune exposure influences um, your attention, your ability to learn, your focus. It can also potentially influence anxiety and depression-like symptoms, which mm. um, uh, can also exacerbate uh, attention deficit and various other conditions. Okay. And so uh, under that circumstance, uh, a properly functioning immune system uh, that's getting the right kind of exposure and being exposed to lots of things outside um, may uh, improve um, a child's ability to learn, may reduce their anxiety and depression levels, and... Uh, and uh, potentially could have big impacts upon their ability to function in a school environment. It's telling, um, I think very telling at the moment, uh, that um, uh, during the pandemic with the closure of schools, we've actually seen a significant reduction in childhood anxiety levels compared to when children were in schools prior to the pandemic. Um, now, you could know, say, well, you know, they weren't having exams and, you know, they weren't being in a school environment. And, and it, yes, all of those psychological manifestations are probably responsible. But there could also be a nuanced part of that, which is affected by the fact that children are probably spending more time in backyards, probably spending less time trapped in, uh, I, trapped is a very emotive <laughs> word, into um, an indoor environment where they are, have limited exposure during the day to the outside environment so there's a there's a component of that which we should consider now of course we need to do the experimental tests to understand it but if we do it will be uh it'll be really interesting to see how much that contributes to that that learning deficit that we uh, see in some children yeah and I'm, I'm curious as to the the sort of the mix i guess um how much of, of, of what you're talking about is something is airborne and things we breathe in not just covid again but in general and how much is it from touching you know any any early years classroom kids touch each other they there's saliva everywhere there's not everywhere you know how much how much what what are we talking about here in terms of ratios i guess uh, that's a really complicated question but the um uh you have to understand the lung is an immune organ just like the skin the skin is another immune organ people think of it as a barrier but it it has loads of immune cells inside it that are sensing the environment that we touch, that we physically interact with. We actually think that what you physically touch um, and therefore what your immune system on your skin is exposed to can affect how our organs inside work. Everything wow. from our intestine to our kidneys to our heart. So there's a, the, the whole system is connected. So you know, right. that's a fascinating thing. I would say the, you know, obviously when COVID, Withstanding the the you know, anything you breathe in, there's it's a thick mucus layer of um, along the respiratory tract, which is um, uh, trapping things, but also in expelling them, but also allowing for um, uh, a nice, warm, moist environment for things to grow. Mm. So you know, viruses and bacteria love to uh, try and get into that environment, and things like Staphylococcus aureus or Pseudomonas um, aeruginosa will find um, a lovely way into the body and into the lung um, through uh, breathe, breathing in. Um, but of course, yeah, anything you physically interact with on your skin is going to be shaping how your body functions. Um, and so um, uh, the transmission of disease via your skin um, is the most likely way you're going to pick up something unless you are closely interacting with other children um, in a school environment, which of course happens. Yeah. So um, we, hopefully we all now understand that you have an aura around you um, and if you sneeze the aura is is expressed further <laughs> of viruses and bacteria 
Um, and so if you are close to people, you are breathing their aura in and they are breathing your aura in, uh, your microbial aura. And, uh, and that can lead to infection and disease. So uh, yeah, it's complicated, but that's the, um, that's the, the, the basic paradigm. Yeah. And is, is that, you know, it sounds alien and slightly dystopian, these auras around us, and it sounds quite scary, but I'm guessing if, there's, if you're two healthy adults, there's, there's nothing particularly dangerous about that breathing in each other's aura. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it may be beneficial, right? You're, you, um, uh, two healthy uh, children uh, sitting next to each other, they, they, their immune systems are being, to a certain extent, educated by the other person's microbial exposure, right? Mm -hmm. So the bacteria and viruses and fungi that person is emitting, remember we each emit around 38 million bacterial particles, bacterial cells every hour, right? So there's a lot of exposure, exposure potential. Um, uh, that exposure could be training that child's immune system, especially, you know, maybe under five years old. So in that preschool environment, in uh, what we would have kindergarten here, um, uh, the, the child's immune system could be being shaped by sitting next to another child and being educated by the exposure to that, uh, that foreign microbial uh, environment. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's a, there's a component that we, we should uh, consider as potentially beneficial. And if we move into, into COVID-19 coronavirus and, and, you know, the advice is wash your hands, keep two meters and make sure you clean stuff you touch, essentially. And in schools that has been interpreted in this, well, it's not been interpreted, they've been advised, I guess, we shouldn't, you know, schools are just doing what they've been told to do in this country, at least, is to detol the world. You know, the, that school has never been as, you know, bleached as it's ever going to be. Is, you know, what, you know, as far as you're aware, what are the risks around surface transmission and how effective is the sort of bleaching of the environment um, going to affect that? Yeah, it, it, um, you know, um, whenever we talk about uh, advice, you have to understand that this is an emerging uh, field or the research mm -hmm. is very much in its infancy. Any research that's less than six months old should always be considered um, uh, very early and open to uh, revision uh, mm -hmm. as we find more evidence to overturn our previous evidence. Um, so in the context of this, uh, the vast majority of, of transmission is airborne um, in terms of what we've experienced from case studies of uh, events where people have got sick in an environment. Um, so your biggest risk is breathing in some, somebody else's uh, contaminated air or, 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 or uh, droplets. Um, and then also, obviously, um, if you do get virus on your hands, touching your nose or your mouth, right? Now, we call the we call the environment around the surfaces, you know, your tabletops, your door handles, etc. Fomites. A fomite is just a surface which allows a pathogen to be transmitted between two people, right? So if somebody who has had a lot of virus on their hand, like they they had the, they had SARS-CoV-2 infection, uh, COVID-19, and they sneezed, they had mucus on their hand, and they touched a door handle, and then somebody came along and touched that door handle, and then touched their nose it is possible that they could be infected. Um, we haven't seen a lot, or haven't found a lot of evidence of those forms of transmission, but it doesn't mean they don't exist. Um, so, but is it necessary to sterilize the entire environment? We hear a lot of reports at the moment of deep cleaning a school, right? Um, because uh, some, some of the children uh, got sick, they, they, they send all the kids home, um, and then they deep clean the whole school to try and eradicate the SARS-CoV-2 infection. Well, that's not where the kids got sick from. 
the kids got sick from interacting with each other and likely breathing in each other's uh, contaminated air. And uh, so um, you can uh, bleed deeply in the school all you want, but as soon as you bring the children back into that environment, you're going to risk transmission of the virus, not from the school surfaces, but from the interaction between the children. That's your biggest threat, right? And so this deep cleaning angle doesn't make a lot of sense and is, is rather uh, problematic. Uh, it's, it's, it's stagecraft to a certain extent. You, know, you talk about um, security theater in an airport, right? You know, most yeah. of the security protocols don't really do anything to keep us safe, but it makes us feel safe because we see things happening. It's the same with um, a lot of the sterilization protocols. But in the absence of absolute evidence, it's probably, well, it's belt and braces, right? You know, yeah. the, um, we are just being doubly, doubly, doubly safe. Uh, and and this is, I can't fault them for doing it, even if there's no, not, no necessary evidence to support it or, or deny it. So it's, um, it's uh, you know, uh, why not? <laughs> and, if, and I guess if those kids are, you know, well, we said it doesn't really matter before 18, but if we take it as read that a continual exposure to stuff does help as you, as you go through life, I guess if they're having a normal experience outside of that school, cleaning that school down to within an inch of its life, isn't going to have that much detrimental impact on that process. No, I doubt it. I doubt. It. I mean, let's say the kids are in there eight hours a day. There's still another eight hours in the day when they could be outside and they could be experiencing it. So um, this period of six months of a child's life, or maybe more. I'm sorry. Uh, this period of six months of a child life, or maybe more, where they're exposed to a very sterile school environment is probably not likely to significantly um, impact their immune system development. You know, if, if, again, if we were talking about an 18 month, you know, a, a six month old child, and that you know, maybe they'd just been born and they're going to six months, and we kept them locked inside a room that we kept very, very sterile, then that could have a serious negative impact upon their immune system's development. But, you know, a seven, eight, nine-year-old kid um, in, in a school is probably not going to be badly affected by the, this, uh, this uh, sterilization theater that's going yeah. on. And, and away from sort of coronavirus, and there is only one story in town, but, but teachers uh, say that, you know, they have this period of illness where they will, will be with these kids or, or, you know, for weeks and weeks at a time, and then they have their half term and they suddenly get sick. And there's, there's, there's a lot of theories about why that happens. But there's these sort of contrasting theories that they're really strong immune systems. They're around children all the time and they're around all these bugs all the time. But then they suddenly get sick because they're so knackered that they just let it in at the, at the um, half term or the Christmas break. I mean, is there any truth in, in, in that? It, you know, what possible explanation? You know, are teachers some sort of super immune beings because, because of the uh, germs they're exposed to? I mean, how does it all work? Yeah, we, we um, yeah, as you, as you astutely point out, we, we don't really understand what's going on there. Uh, we see this similar thing with uh, sewage um, plant workers, you know, play, okay. sewage treatment plants. Uh, the workers there tend to have very, very low rates of uh, infectious disease generally. Um, and then uh, when they take a break or they retire, they often get a lot sicker. And we don't really understand why we 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 think that the constant exposure to things keeps the immune system very alert right okay. um it's uh, and and when it's very alert um the every time an immune cell um sees um a, a, an, an organism it wants to get rid of like a bacteria or a virus it will engulf it and then die right and then the process of it dying causes the body to make new ones 
So you're getting this constant refreshing of your immune system when you're exposed to lots of things. Um, when you don't see a lot of things, a sudden cessation in that, you, those immune cells hang around in the body a lot longer and they get older and they become more reactive. Um, and uh, this can actually lead to viruses and bacteria being more likely to infect you, right? Because the immune system's less responsive, um, and, but when it suddenly responds, it responds quite badly and you get a much um, more severe infection, right? Uh, remember, an infection is the virus getting inside your body, but the symptoms you have, the sneezing, the cough, the, uh, the um, temperature, are the immune system trying to kill the virus, mm. not, not the virus's actual effect on the body. Um, and so if your immune system's um, uh, overreacting, you're going to have much worse symptoms. Whereas previously, it may have just identified the problem and got rid of it without, with very few symptoms. Right? I see. Fascinating. So, uh, you know, uh, during the school year, their immune system's probably clearing the infection pretty easily without any symptoms. Um, when they come into half term or, uh, or Christmas break, um, it's more likely that they, uh, they could have a more severe allergic response, if you will, um, to the infection that, that they may have when they see other family members. Yeah. And um, what, one thing I've read of yours is, is, around, is around diet. And I, I never even thought of diet as an area that would be relevant here but you know it, it is isn't it what you eat matters how you eat it you know and 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 presumably when sometimes as well oh uh, diet's so important i mean um uh, your your intestine is another immune organ and it contains about 40 trillion bacterial cells uh, more cells than there are human cells in your entire body right okay. um, there are about 35 trillion human cells in your body and about 40 trillion bacterial cells in your intestine so, um, you know, that's a you know, five trillion more. Um, but th those bacteria digest your food, right? Mm -hmm. When you eat your food, it goes in and some of it's absorbed um, as it goes down the intestine. And that helps to feed your body and keep you fit and healthy, right? But the, the rest of it, when it hits the bacterial community in your colon and, and your large intestine, they consume that food. And when they do that, they release chemicals, um, you know, compounds from their, you know, like their poop. That's their yeah. chemical poop. Yeah. And bacterial chemical poop is actually absorbed by our body and helps to feed our immune system. Okay. Uh, you can cut that or break it. But. No. So yeah, um, when bacteria eat your food uh, that you've consumed, they uh, poop out chemicals which feed our immune system. So um, one of those chemicals is called butyrate. And when bacteria in your intestine produce butyrate, it feeds the immune cells aligning the gut and keeps them from uh, being inflamed, right? So okay. it stops massive bad inflammation. And we yeah. think that that's incredibly important in shaping health. And so as a, a school, are there dietary decisions you have to make either for your staff, you know, allowing them to eat at certain times or providing uh, certain foods for staff and pupils to eat in the canteen or does it not really matter as long as you're following general healthy diet advice are you, are you okay basically um yeah it's unfortunate that uh um uh, in this case jamie oliver might have been uh, accurate in terms of what was needed in school diets um in order to keep your bacteria healthy um in your gut and therefore to keep your immune system healthy and your body healthy you need to feed them fiber Okay. Fiber is one of the key, key things you can do. And that's, you know, that can come in fruit. It can come in, um, in uh, salads. It can come in uh, less cooked vegetables. Um, but they need that fiber, right? Fiber is super important. 
um, and less sugar. <laughs> it sucks, basically. It's like yeah. uh, eating all the sugary foods and the high fat, high, you know, high uh, sugar foods like uh, your burgers and fries and eat more healthy foods. It's, I mean, it's not rocket science, right? It's, uh, it's probably a lot more complicated than rocket science, but it's, it's super simple. If you eat a healthy diet, you'll have a healthy gut and you'll have a healthy immune system. Um, and uh, so in school, the best thing we could do for children, especially poor children and lower socioeconomic status who may not have access to healthy food at home is mm. to feed them a healthy diet. And sorry, if we feed them a healthy diet, uh, their immune systems will be healthier, will reduce overall disease and allergic chronic diseases in our population and make the body healthier. So we talked about all these different areas that school can help with. I mean, we're, never, we're not going to put all this responsibility on schools, obviously the home environment's off almost certainly more important but if we're if we're looking at a dirt friendly school we're looking at a healthy diet we're talking probably about moving classrooms um so we're not in the same space or at least having a well ventilated classroom and we're talking about good outdoor space and and you you know safeguarding our break times yeah and yeah yeah i mean um i think all three of those are great, right? Um, the best thing you could do during the spring, summer and autumn is to open the windows as much as possible and allow outdoor air in, so unprocessed outdoor air. Um, and that, that will significantly benefit that environment. Um, but yeah, as we said, um, uh, those break times are important, but we can still make them learning break times. Um, you know, uh, the psychology of playing with your friends is incredibly important. A lot of kids don't get that outside of school. Um, but also the, um, the, you can make it a, uh, a farm break time, right? So, you know, even if you're just growing things in pots, uh, you know, start, you know, get the kids interested and excited in nurturing plants and just the act of working with a plant and with soil is incredibly important. Not only are your, is your immune system and your skin getting the exposure, but just by being close to soil, you're breathing things in, you know, um, you're breathing in a lot if you're even interacting with a plant and that's training the immune system in the child's body to be less responsive so those kinds of things are so important it's, it's talking to you is sort of weirdly uh, comforting but also incredibly dystopian because <laughs> you know i guess anyone listening and watching this is going to go oh my god i'm breathing in stuff the whole time and and become almost too conscious of it i mean that's not what you want obviously but you do want people to realize the benefits of this but you don't necessarily want to um, scare them. <laughs> Funny, well, about eight years ago, when, I, when we first started doing this kind of um, exposure science, we finally understood the, the level of exposure most people were under in a building. Mm. Um, uh, somebody asked me uh, the question, well, how did I deal with public restrooms or you know, toilets? Uh, yeah. Go in there, it's gross, right? Uh, and I said, actually, you know, we did a large study of public restrooms in a, in a, in a university. and it. Um, it turns out that uh, the vast majority of what you're being exposed to there isn't that bad for you. It's not that disgusting. I, mean, I wouldn't necessarily lick a urinal, but um, you know, <laughs> uh, just being in there is actually potentially beneficial for training your immune system, as long as there isn't a pandemic or a major infectious disease that's being spread through urine or feces, right? Yeah. And then you know it could be uh, more harmful. Um, but you know, it's our our uh, phobia of other people of their mucus excretions, of their, you know, um, excretions generally, um, is what keeps us uh, phobic of those environments. Um, but we, we translated that over the last 100 years into 
bacteria and the dangers of infection because mm. that was the way most diseases were spread in the 19th century and the early 20th century um, before we cleaned up our act before we realized microbes were, could be causing it but nowadays um, most toilets in most uh, developed nations are, are um, not a source of infection and so the this the paranoia about you know when you flush the toilet things if you don't put the lid down things flying up in the air and <laughs> making your toothbrush and um, making the whole bathroom disgusting is just um uh, paranoia right uh, there's virtually nothing in most people's feces which will make you sick or make your toothbrush sick it just sounds gross <laughs> early years practitioners celebrating around the country as we as we speak now after having to do all this stuff I, I mean, it's, it's funny. Look at like most babies. Most babies love playing with their poop and it yeah. doesn't make them necessarily sick. And remember, if you're in a family, um, as long as nobody has an infection that's causing the sickness, it's very unlikely that their feces are going to make you sick. Um, it, you know, it's just our xenophobia, our fear of the other, right? Yeah, our yeah. fear of our next door neighbors or our friends and what they may have in their poop. Uh, we actually think xenophobia comes from um, a fear of infection, right? Okay. So the fact that when you live in your tribe, um, your tribe, and you all interact with everybody in your tribe, you don't worry about their infection because everybody has the same thing because you're all intermingling. Mm. And so, you know, you, you uh, get relaxed. But the tribe from over the hill, mm, they, they might have a pathogen that might make you sick, and so you stay away from them. It, see, even, even xenophobia and potentially racism have a microbial origin. <laughs> <laughs> I, love the, I, love, I love the concept. And so if we can just make everybody not germophobic, we could cure all the world's problems in a, in a sweep of the hand. It sounds it. So before you, so before you go, you're going to have to tell us what a paediatric oceanographer... <laughs> yeah, what, what does that actually mean? Now, pediatric, pediatric oceanography, I, I, you know, um, I, I work in microbes in any environment, right? So the oceans, uh, uh, dolphins, uh, oysters, um, but also uh, in children and childhood developments and uh, uh, pediatric diseases. So um, it doesn't matter where there are microbes, that's what I look at. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a term of, uh, uh, it's a term that was applied just because I have appointments in an oceanographic department. But a pediatric oceanographer looks at baby dolphins and, and uh, baby squid, <laughs> um, as well as children. Or we take our children and throw them in the ocean and mix the two up. And see what happens. And what are you working on now? Is there another book in the works? Uh, no, uh, that was a, that was a, we, we, we wrote Dirt is Good in response to um, uh, uh, everybody asking us questions after every lecture we gave, right? You know, you go and give a public lecture, you get a thousand questions. I decided to write down all the questions and answer them. Um, and, uh, and so we could just hand out a book rather than uh, having to answer all the questions. Um, we give people a lot more information, but um, also to uh, counter some of the false information that was being propagated on the internet about many of these things. Um, but yeah, no, we're just continuing to plug away and create uh, new science and push the research boundaries as far as they can go. Sounds great. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Have a lovely day.